All right. Hello and welcome to the 51st edition of the Two Black Trinity Podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm your host, Chris. And today um, we have a wonderful guest with us, um, Nav, otherwise known as uh, Nav the Poet. And um, he is he is here with us today to um, we're going to go ahead and review the Ms. Marvel show on Disney Plus as well as uh, Thor Love and Thunder. So um, first of all, Nav, it's your first time on the podcast. So we always like to ask anyone new, what was the first nerdy thing that you were into growing up? It could be anything. What was the first thing you remember really being obsessed over when you were younger? Oh, it's a uh, Power Rangers, and I still am. Yes, <laughs> let's go. Yeah, I I was born in '92. Uh, Power Rangers aired first in 1993, um, and so I, I was this is extra random information, but I, I was born with a heart condition, so I was in the hospital a lot. Mm-hmm. So all I remember from being in the hospital was watching Power Rangers in the hospital bed. Um, I think there's just like some emotional connection that was established really early on, um, and so yeah. I, I've watched like every season. It's like 30 plus seasons now at this point um, in the U S at least the Sentai's got even more. Oh man. Yeah. I, I had a power Rangers phase for a while, so I get it. I think, uh, I think Dino Thunder, I think was probably one of my, one of my favorites when I was younger. So one. yeah, I totally, I get it. <laughs> my, mine, mine ran through mystic force mm. and only why I stopped with Mystic Forces because, you know, like I, I grew up in an extremely uh, Christian household and I'm just like, if my parents see the magic, they're going to oh. be like, what are you watching? So I'm just going to like, I'm just going to watch this later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of seasons, um, some good, some bad, but that's how any long running media goes. Yes. Oh, man. So, uh, yeah, I guess we're going to go ahead and just get into Ms. Marvel. So um, I guess we'll just start with, like, overall thought. Well, well, first of all, I guess I'll explain what Ms. Marvel's about for those of you who don't know. So Ms. Marvel follows uh, Kamala Khan, who's a young uh, Pakistani teenager living in Jersey. Um, She's, you know, within the Marvel Universe, she's like a superhero fan that exists within the Marvel Universe, so she's a huge, like, Avengers fan and Captain Marvel, her favorite superhero. And, you know, we kind of start with her just sort of being a normal a normal teenager, and then we follow her sort of hero's journey in these six episodes. So, um, I guess anybody who wants to go, just overall thoughts on the show, what you liked, what you didn't like, and then we can sort of go into details, characters, etc. I'll let, sure. the, I'll let our guests go first. Yeah. Sure. So I, yeah, overall, I love the show. You know, I, I mean, it's not perfect. Nothing is, but I, I enjoyed it so much. Um, seeing, I wish we had more episodes because I think they could have even developed her story a bit more, but I just, I really enjoyed so much of the exploration of her as an individual and her as a member of her family and her community. And then, you know, especially towards the end, how that all plays into her being a hero. I think that story is the core of the show, and that element is really what made it so enjoyable for me. Yeah, uh, I gotta echo everything you said. I, I love the show. For me, it's like competing with Falcon and the Winter, Winter Soldier as my favorite show, and I think Falcon and the Winter Soldier only hope, wins out because of the personal significance that story holds to me. Um, but I, I think Miss Marvel, 
I don't think it missed in terms of an episode where like, you know, like where you feel like the story dipped or anything. It was a lot of fun. There was a lot of heart. I love good uh, connection moments between parents and their kids. Um, and, you know, being able to come together and, and even with the generational differences and then the cultural difference that comes with that based on where they were raised. Um, I, I love those coming together and, and the conversations between uh, Kamala and her mom and her dad uh, were just it made me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. And I and I, I got to admit, I was a little worried about Marvel being able to handle well, Disney, but being able to handle just the different cultures and not essentially doing like um, just cookie cutter ones with, with the different cultures that we've seen recently. And I feel like they really um, did a, a, a good job for Disney in terms of respecting um, the, the cultures and, and traditions. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree with both of you guys. Um, as far I enjoy, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed the show quite a bit just because it was nice. I mean, Moon Knight was a new hero, but it was nice to, you know, get introduced to a new character, get introduced to their world. I also think, too, this show did a really good job of sort of, like, following the steps. I think Spider-Man Homecoming was probably the first to do it, where it's like, you see what normal people are like. In this Marvel Universe, where it's like, yeah, you're going to have some people who are superhero stands, some people who don't like them or see it as a trash and things of that nature. So I really appreciated that aspect of the show. And I would agree that I really enjoyed the family story and the family dynamic in this with Kamala and her mom. I feel like, you know, it, every... I feel like, you know, there's so many shows where it's like someone's hiding that they're a superhero and the loved ones find out and the reaction is like anger and they're upset. And, you know, Chris, how many, you know, we were uh, into the CW shows for a long time. How many episodes, how many times did we have a why did you lie to me type argument? You know, between Arrow, between Arrow and Flash alone. Oh my, you know, just like, because like they had to have drama. But in this one, you know, her parents... You know, they accepted that she was a superhero, you know, I think. And they explained, too, at the beginning where her mom, you know, didn't really like that she was into that stuff. You sort of got an explanation where it's like, OK, where the mom has some issues with the grandmother. And that's why she was hesitant for her. She didn't really like her daughter, you know, dealing with anything, you know, you know, magical, mystical, etc. So, yeah, I really liked that that you have a you have a character that just has like. A supportive family. I mean, I guess uh, Spider Man had Aunt May, you know, until she died. But um, <laughs> but I appreciated, yeah, I appreciated that aspect of this show as well. Um, yeah, I um, yeah, I want to say off of Chris's point about the cultural depiction. You know, that was something I was worried about too. So I'm not Muslim, but I am South Asian, which Kamala is. She's Pakistani, so she's South Asian. Um, and one of the really enjoyable parts of this show was also like myself and other South Asians and other people that matched or resonated with Kamala's identities and just like talking about different little details in the show that they really got accurate, right? Like there were certain things about, you know, even though sometimes it seems weird, like in the first episode, I think it was when the, they're like, uh, she goes to try on some dresses for the wedding and uh, her mom's friend comes in and, and then comments and her mom changes her tune about, 
what she thought about Kamala, the, how it fits her, is like that's accurate. Like judgment and communal like uh, perspective affect our parents' perspective as well. And like it's those kinds of things are just like someone in those rooms, like in the creatives' rooms are from the communities and they were able to bring those elements that were very accurate to real life into the show. And that's something I really appreciate about it. And I think one other thing that is rare, not just in the Disney space, um, but in, in, in all of media, well, at least live action media, we don't get a lot of coming of age stories for BIPOC, uh, protagonists that especially that aren't steeped in trauma you know we, we got we got trauma stories for days but and while yes we we do have this uh you know co- uh generational unpacking working through generational trauma things like that that is a normal part of life but it's not you know dealing with someone that is you know like a, a gangbanger hooked on drugs you know like into violence you know this is someone that's actively trying to be good and that is refreshing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Or Chris, uh, orphans. You know, people mm-hmm. losing their parents in a pilot. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, mom, dad, brother, brothers got brother got married in the show. I'm like, look at look at you guys. That's awesome. Um, so Sorry, I was just gonna say, um, like, just the point about the wedding that you brought up. Like, yeah. as you just said it now, I was like. You know, I think that's why it's even more enjoyable because we're not used to seeing like happy celebrations or like mm-hmm. these celebrations of life. It's always like a funeral or something very sad. Uh, so it's just a small little thing. Yeah. Or if you, you know, take Moon Knight where we got someone's birthday and it was horribly depressing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, going before the show came out there was a little controversy not a little there was some definitely controversy on them changing her powers um from being uh you know her her and biggin and her shape-shifting that were sort of integral to her story of come you know loving herself and uh her identity um and i know i was questioning of that if they took that aspect out of it but i think they did handle that part of it you know loving who you are and where you came from um rather well for at least the time frame that they had what about y'all Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm not, I wasn't super familiar with her in the comics, so the power change wasn't something that, I, I mean, that I, that I just knew a lot about. I was just kind of curious to see what they were going to do. I mean, I'm still, I still wonder, like, what the main reason for the power change. I wonder if it's just because they thought the crystal effects would just look better than having her, like, actually stretch and things of that nature. Um, but I think, I mean, personally, I thought her powers were fine for the stories they wanted to tell. You know, I did like, um, especially the way she used them. She used her powers a lot of times in a very defensive way 
where she was like mm-hmm. putting up barriers or blocking like gunfire or like trying to stop um uh, was it so I think the boy was the shoot thief, right? Like the boy that she saved, like the, mm-hmm. in like the mm-hmm. second episode, he was actually the shoot thief, shoot thief. That was like a like a hidden thing they had in that episode. She used, you know, she used her powers to try to help him as best she could. Or in the flashback when she um she like goes in the past and you know helps a little girl. So I I I did like how her powers were used because I feel like they were the way they were used. It was like in a very like defensive heroic way and not just like okay she's just gonna go out and beat people up which is a lot of what you see you know i mean we saw that in moon knight right so it was a nice change of pace for sure yeah i mean similar to to what chris said i do wonder what is ultimately the reason for changing it i I couldn't understand what purpose it serves other than i guess with the light crystals that serve the part of the story of her helping her uh, grandmother find her way back, you know, with that in episode five. But it didn't bother me too much once we started to see it more in like episode two and three. And it was just like, because like you said, the way it was used, the powers were used and I think they look fine. I have no issue with how they look personally. I think it's just our brains are like, oh, well, this is what it was. Why is it like this? And so you Mm -hmm. sometimes create a automatic negative perception about how they look or feel just because you didn't you wanted it the other way but once i kind of just like sat there and you know saw how they were using it and i think especially seeing her improve each episode with using her powers that also really helped me to just like embrace the powers more because like you said episode two she just like she botches the the save you know and then like by three she's creating a big fist knocking out some of the clandestine and then you know the finale she's she's going crazy so um, I think, yeah, I was okay with it ultimately. Yeah. So let, let, let's get into, uh, the story in specifics a bit more. Cause one of the criticisms I've seen is people were like, oh, I didn't really like the villains. You know, they weren't a big part of the story. And honestly, I don't think they needed to be for the story that, that they were trying to tell. I don't think we needed some big, you know, one-on-one villain uh, fight uh, between her and the clandestines or her and Cameron. I, I think just having it be the um, damage control who that one lady just, she had, she had a pretty powerful uh, power trip there mm-hmm. at the end. Um, but I, and the community rallying with her, her family and the community rallying with her, I think that was more poignant, more powerful than a one-on-one would have gotten. Do you want to go first or should I? Uh, you, you, go, you can go ahead. Yeah, um, I, I pretty much agree, Chris. I actually, I think I mentioned in one of my reviews, I didn't want a true villain from like episode one. I just, I liked how they were exploring Kamala and her, journey and her story and if anything i would have preferred like small things you know that like similar to like the 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 save that she did or the attempted save um and what's funny about the criticism about like not having like this overall antagonist is people always complain about the mcu being formulaic and then here mm-hmm. they are doing it a little different by not having this one sole, single antagonist and kind of giving us a couple of different and i'm not saying the antagonists were executed the best the clandestine are their story is a little 
missing. Like there's something missing from it. Um, but like I was okay with damage control just being like that finale antagonist that was just for that episode. And then other th- other episodes were more of like the antagonist was the obstacle or the obstacles in a lot of ways of her, like either as her family or understanding her powers and, and that kind of thing. And I liked that. I liked us just exploring this character and getting to know her personally as a, as a person instead of an, as a hero and seeing how that translates to her heroism. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely, I mean, I don't agree. With, I would, I'd agree with what both of you guys said. I think from what I mean, personally, from what I wanted with this show really was just like a good coming of age story. And I don't think having a big, crazy villain was necessary, especially when we already knew that they were going to put, uh, Kamala in, you know, the Captain Marvel sequel, where I'm sure we're going to get um, some more of that. And, I mean, clearly Marvel, you know, Phase 4 has really just been trying to set up as many new characters as they can. So, you know, she's going to fight villains, you know, in future things, especially with the uh, the tease that we got at the end, um, for sure. So I'm fine with not having not having a huge villain, because I know that this is really... It was really only the beginning, and it felt like a beginning, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Um, so do we want to um, just go over like characters really quick, people that we really like or that stood out to us? Um, I know we've talked about the, uh, the family a little bit, but um, yeah, does anybody want to you know, take a stab at any of the characters they like, dislike, etc.? Where to start? So many. I, I don't think there was a character I really disliked in this show. Um, like, I know we didn't get a lot of the clandestines, but, like, obviously I'm against what their plan was, at least the result of what their plan would have been. But I, and there was nothing that I, a character that I, I didn't really like. Even, what was the the the, the white girl's name? Abby? No. Zoe? Uh, Zoe, yes. Even even her, like, you know, yeah, she she was, you know, that stereotypical high school bully in that first episode and then you know at the end she's just like nah I'm here for you like she's ready to ride or die you saved my life but like I'm gonna be grateful um and and get your back so yeah I mean even with Zoe like she wasn't as much of a stereotypical bully right it just seemed like her and Kamala you know had their own lives went their own ways and you know maybe she's a little um I don't want not even stuck up but just like I don't know what the right word is right now, but it, it didn't come... Like, she wasn't super mean to Kamala in that first yeah. interaction, right? But, like, yeah, I get what you're saying. But I even liked that element that it was like, okay, they're just... They're whatever to each other, I guess, is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then ultimately, yeah, because of being saved, and, like, she she's, like, ultimately a good person or wants to be a good person, just might be a little caught up in the influencer, you know, mentality and world that she exists in. Um, but for characters, yeah, I don't know if I disliked any. Some I just wish we got to know more. Um, but like the ones that I really love, I mean, Kamala's like an obvious one. And but like other than her, um, her mom, her dad, and Nakia, uh, those are the three mm-hmm. that really mm-hmm. connected with me. We were talking about before we, you know, started. Um, they remind me of uh, her parents. Remind me of my parents in a lot of ways. Um, some of it's the cultural aspects, some of it's just how they, you know, behave. And then with Nakia, so like I wear a turban as a part of my faith, which is it's a different reason why, you know, Muslim women wear the hijab. But I resonate with a lot of the things Nakia was talking about because 
I have similar experiences of being someone who who wears who has this distinct identity that makes me stand out. And so just like her bits where she would talk to Kamala about identity and about her struggles just really like hit me personally on a really deep emotional level. Yeah, I think besides like outside of Kamala, not Nakia is is my favorite character. Uh, she also reminds me a lot of one of my close friends. Uh, I text her, I'd be like, this is you. And she'd be like, I don't watch the show. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and I was like, but trust me, this is you. Um, and, and especially when she was running uh, to be on, on, on the board and how she was talking to uh, Kamala's dad. <laughs> that whole bit, I was like, I love this. I love this. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I'd agree. I mean, I love those characters. I would agree. Um, I, so one, one, so we haven't talked about, uh, so Kamala has like a variety of like kind of love interests in this show, potentially, right? We have what? We have Bruno, who's our best friend. And then we have Kamran, who she starts off having a crush on, who ends up being the, um, the son of one of the clandestine. And then we have uh, Kareem, who's one of the Red Daggers, who are sort of like a... I, is it okay to call them a ninja clan, kind of? Effectively? I guess. I don't yeah, know. effectively. So, um, yeah, I, I actually I actually enjoyed... I actually thought... I actually liked that you had, you had a female protagonist that, like, just, like, didn't have this, like, one person he ended up with at the end. I liked mm. how they were, like, multiple love interests and things of that nature, because... You get that with a lot of male characters, right? Like, you think of Batman. Batman's got Catwoman. He's got Talia al Ghul. He's had things with Wonder Woman, et cetera, et cetera. So I did like that, you know, you have a young you have a young female character that's kind of got, you know, multiple guys that are interested in her, especially I think um, that she's a woman of color. I think it is important to have a story where, you know, a woman of color is like, you know, is desired in some way. By um, mm-hmm. a lot of people, by uh, people around her, I thought that was um, I thought I thought, I thought it was cool. Um, Desired purely and not fetishized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say the exact same thing. I was like, it's not only that it's a woman, it's woman, but it's a woman of color being desired and like specific. Like I'm sure it happens with all women of color, but I know with South Asian women especially, it's like a the the lack of desirability or at least societally perceived lack of desirability is like huge. And so it was just like, and it wasn't, I mean, it, I don't want to say it wasn't overt cause it was, but it also didn't feel like it was the, it wasn't the crux of her story either. No. Like these mm-hmm. were just other elements of her story. And I, I appreciated that at the end of the day, like her focus was on her, her culture, her identity and her, her family and all that. Uh, and then the, crushes or the you know potential interests were just like okay if if something happens kind of mentality it felt Mm -hmm. how long do you think uh bruno took to um to practice those dance moves for the wedding he was he you know he he must have been in his homeboy must have been in his room you know for weeks trying to get every trying to get that routine down (laughs) you know easy weeks easy weeks (laughs) Yeah, g- given given uh, my experience at, at Muslim weddings, um, I, you you gotta get you gotta get your practice in. 
Yeah, even as someone who's like familiar with dancing and dancing like Indian style dancing, it takes me time to get the steps in for like a performance. So for Bruno, it probably took at least a month or so. Um, <laughs> but also with his dedication, maybe it took less because he's like into Kamala. So he's like, I got impressors. So he's like, try really hard to remember. Unless that wasn't his first time. Like, you know, a- a- as familiar as he was with the family, you know, he he, he could have been around. That's true. He is super close to the family, which is so interesting. Yeah. Um. So what what did you, so there's been one part that that's been interesting to see the dialogue around um, from people that the story directly affected and people that have been on the outside looking in regarding the partition. Um, now, there are some people. Uh, I, I, I want to talk about like what it means in universe and uh, what it means um, to people uh, from that area. But there's been this conversation about people not knowing what the partition was until this show and people are shaming them for it. And I don't and like I can understand that, you know, the Internet exists and everything like that. But if that's not in your sphere of study, like the American education system isn't going to cover that. Like I only learned about it because I was an international relations major in college. So that was a part of learning about, you know, colonialism and, and how the British screwed up another part of the world. So I, I, I guess, what do y'all think about that kind of criticism? Um, you good if I go? Yep. Yeah, so I mean, I will say that, I mean, to be honest, I was only vaguely familiar with the partition before the show and actually watching the episode, you know, convinced me to go like research. So, you know, I think, Chris, you kind of hit the nail on the head where it's like, the American education system, I mean, you're, there are certain things that we're just, especially nowadays, people are, you're just not going to know. So unless you have some sort of connection to a historical issue, be family, friends, etc., it's very easy to miss stuff. And I think one reason that we need, like, diverse entertainment is because diverse entertainment, even something like a Marvel show can it can be used as a medium to educate an audience on something that they may not know about you know or at least, and, I, and at least you know go, does that wait does that really happen and cause someone to go online and do some research and things of that nature so i think that's something you know i think you know with that criticism i'm kind of like i think the purpose of like you know entertainment art in a way is to you know shine a light on things that may not be seen through traditional education, things of that nature. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I think I haven't heard that. uh, I haven't at least seen anyone do that, but I'm sure it exists. And I think those people who might be shaming, um, I I feel like it might come from like, they just have a personal relationship with that time period, with the history of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it, it gets to you sometimes. I'm not, I'm not excusing, I'm just saying this could be the reasoning for why some people might be, like, upset that people don't know about it. But, like, I completely understand why people don't know about it. Like, I don't think my high school even touched upon the partition at all. So, um, and, like, even within, like, South Asian families, a lot of, like, the those older generations don't talk about it. 
So Mm -hmm. it's not like a lot of South Asian, you know, kids today and even like my generation, like don't know as much or don't know much about it because it's a tough thing to talk about. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's a little weird too, because you, because if we don't know about why would we expect, expect other people outside of the communities to know about it? Um, and so, yeah, it's not something you're just going to decide to randomly Google unless you have some interest in some way, shape, or form about it to either just learn history or, you know, like you said, there's a study or something that brings you to that subject. So it, that's a really weird criticism. Yeah, and I, I remember seeing some things similar to that for um, some of the, the the brutal racial attacks that occurred in the 1900s with white people and black people in America. And I like given, you know, like a lot of those were just swept under the rug because people were never prosecuted or their, their cases got thrown out or they were found not guilty after like 10 minutes of deliberations. But you know, with with something like that, at least from what I, I've been able to glean from some of the, the British people that I, I know, they don't really teach <laughs> that kind of history. And so if you're not getting it from, you know, and I, I, you know, I can't speak for everyone, but it's just like, OK, how many people of, you know, South Asian, Indian, Pakistani descent do you know and do you know them well enough to talk about something that as traumatic as that would have been to their families. Yeah. And, and at least in, in this show, like Chris was saying earlier, this is a way to introduce that to people in a, not a light way, but not in a trauma and not in a traumatic way. Mm hmm. Chris, I, I just this little off topic. When I was in college, my freshman year, one of my roommates didn't know who Nelson Mandela was, and I was shocked. So things like that doesn't it doesn't surprise me. You know what I mean? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I know, right? Because I because I was like I was like I remember I was like on my computer I was like oh man Nelson Mandela passed away and he's like who's that and I was like. Apartheid South App. Okay, it was culture shock. Anyway, um, I had I had an opposite story of, of that in my capstone in in college. Uh, I was heading to it when I found out Prince died. So I walk into my class and I was like, "Y'all, Prince died," and they're like, "The Prince of what?" And I was like, "No, oh you nerds. The artist <laughs> only known as." <laughs> You'd be shocked when people don't know. That's all I can say. Oh. Um, everybody, a lot of a lot of people live in a bubble. But um, anyway, um, are there? Oh, so okay. One thing we definitely got to talk about before we move on the door. So um, one big change they decided to make got revealed within the last few minutes of the show. Mm. You know, during you know during the course of the show, you know we assume that Kamala's powers come because you know she's a clandestine and you know they come from the bangle and things of that nature. And then Bruno tells her, "No, actually, your powers are coming from you know like inside of you, and you your genes are different than the rest of your families." And then we hear the. Uh, 
the X-Men theme. So officially, I mean, I read, according to the writers, they they wanted to introduce Kamala as the first mutant in the MCU, and she's no longer an inhuman, you know, until for now, at least. How do we uh, feel about that change? Because that's probably the most uh, controversial thing to come out of the end of the show. There's either people either love it or hate it. So what are your thoughts? Chris, you can go first. Uh, see, here, here's my thing. I remember in the comics when she was palling around with X-Men, she thought she was a mutant. And then we learned later that she was an inhuman. So I'm like, well, let's just see what happens because this could be the same thing. Like, yeah, she could have a mutation, but technically most superheroes in Marvel Universe have a mutation. They're just, whether they're born with it or their DNA mutated afterwards or something activated their their mutant gene, if you want to call it that, that like, so... I always thought that distinction between people hating mutants and loving the Fantastic Four was always so stupid. But that's the, the, the different shades of, of the rainbow. Yeah, I I don't I don't have an issue with it. I don't know. I think I mean, first of all, Marvel has taken so many liberties with the MCU. Um, I don't know if there's a character that doesn't have some sort of change to their backstory in some way it might be a smaller detail and not as like big as inhuman mutant but it might be like oh they gave them a, a parent that is supposed to be dead in the comics or you know there's like so many adaptations and changes and I, I do my best to take the mcu as like its own project and not try to always compare it to the comics there's certain times and things that are hard to not compare with but i don't i don't have an issue with it i think it's interesting and like I'm excited because there's like an official mention of mutants and we've all been waiting for mutants. So I'm just, I'm just going with it. Like, okay. And I'm, maybe it's a personal bias. Cause like, I love Kamala. She's a South Asian superhero. And I'm just like, cool. South Asian superhero is the first official mutant in the MCU. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. So just for the audience who doesn't really know, like, there, so there's really a lot of drama, I feel like, between, like, the Inhumans and the X-Men, just because... So, my, pretty much, Marvel did not have the movie rights for the X-Men up until recently. So, there was a wild Chris in the comics, right, where they were kind of, like, pushing the X-Men aside and really trying to, mm-hmm. like, beef up the Inhumans and put more Inhuman stories out. Wasn't Inhumans versus X-Men was a thing, right? And, like... It didn't end super well for the X-Men, from what I remember. So there was, like, a lot of that going on. And Kamala Khan came around that time where they're like, okay, let's do more with the Inhumans. But now that Marvel has a film rights back, especially when they they tried an Inhuman show on ABC that bombed, like, years and years ago. And now that they have the mutant rights back, I feel like they're like, okay, we know we got to do something with the mutants property. And Kamala Khan is probably... The most popular Inhuman, I assume. I mean, do people like Black Bolt, Chris? I feel like Black, uh, Black Bolt's used to show how strong other people are, but I don't know how many fans Black Bolt actually has. My so, friend Malik absolutely Yeah, Malik from the show, yeah, yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah, uh, he, he's the Jedi smart on TikTok. It was to the point where when the, uh, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness happened, I, as soon as that happened, I was like, 
oh, Malik's going to be in so much pain. And I and he saw it, I think, like an hour after I did. So I waited the appropriate amount of time. And then I texted him, like, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> he, kept, he, pained, he, he drew a Sharpie mouth on his uh, Funko Pop Blackboard afterwards. Because oh, he's like, that mouth. <laughs> But yeah, no, I think I, I think it, it's pretty safe to say that uh, Kamala's the uh, more favored inhuman. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, I mean, so I guess yeah. My point with that is just that I feel like they, I feel like they don't really know what to do with the Inhumans in MCU. I mean, you had you had an alternate version of Black Bolt die and Doctor Strange. So I think they're probably just going to leave those characters alone. People like the dog too, a lot jaw. So mm-hmm. I think I think rolling Kamala in with the X Men is a way to keep her keep her relevant. You know, I one critique I've heard is that they feel like there's so many X Men characters and the X Men lore is so huge. They don't want Kamala to be like lost. You know, in a bunch of X Men stories, which you know X Men stories are typically ensemble cast. You know. Are we going to get a new Wolverine? Who knows? So that that's the only that's one of the main criticisms I've heard. Um, but I'm I mean, my hope is that, you know, even if Kamala is a mutant, she's able to mostly do her own thing and be in her own stories, you know, where she's able to have a focus. And, you know, maybe there is an X-Men team up or something down the line that she gets to be a part of. But she's able to sort of have her own sort of, you know, corner within the MCU. Yeah, I, I I saw that that critique as well, and I think it's fair. But for some reason, I feel like maybe it's because they just did a whole show about just her. I don't see her like just becoming part of the X Men whenever we get them, which who knows when that is even going to be, right? Like, mm-hmm. and that was the other thing I was thinking is maybe that's also why they did it because maybe they're still working on the X Men or they're figuring it out, and so this is a way to like start setting the building blocks because like in my mind realistically we're not getting an excellent film to at least 2025 but that could be the, that's like the soonest in my mind if then so it's like oh well we have these other characters who are mutants and so we can kind of start to set the stage for like the x-men to because they're like we're now like all the way in this you know this time of 2020 is it 2024 or 2025 and i think we're at 2025 Right. So, like, what uh, what X-Men are you going to introduce? Like, what mutants are you going to introduce? Are you going to introduce Charles and Magneto? Like, are they going to be really old? Like, <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a little um, uncertainty of how you approach it uh, with that. So it's like, oh, if we get these other characters, and then it's just like, yeah, these other people have been around as well, and they've been doing whatever. Uh, so on, on that note, given, uh, Kamala's, uh, or Kamala's relationship with, uh, different, uh, heroes in, in the, in the universe, I, I saw some people were like, will Miles show up? Will they be classmates? And I'm like, I, I can't wait to see the two of them interact because they have such great friendship moments in, in the comics uh, I also want to see them play basketball against each other, especially with with how they've done her powers in this one. I can just see her like running up the side and like dunking on him. But I I, I think the future is is bright with their young cast, 
And I think there is a lot of fun dynamics you can do with the young uh, heroes we have now and the ones that can be introduced. Yeah, I want to say we're in Kate together. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, we gotta, I mean, we gotta get some sort of Young Avengers team up um, down the line. I mean, we have Kate, I mean, I don't, well, we have, um, uh, what was his name? Chris Falcon of the Winter Soldier. Was it uh, Joaquin Torres going to be the new Falcon? Because Sam's Captain America, right? So you have, uh, yeah, if they go that route, right? right? Yeah. You have Eli's Patriot. Yeah, so they, they've definitely been laying the groundwork on with some of these characters in this phase, which um, we're going to get to how we feel about Phase 4, I think, at the end. But um, before we go to Thor, any closing thoughts on Ms. Marvel um, as a show at all? Anything that I forgot we didn't cover or you want to mention um, before we uh, head over to Thor? I do want to talk about her costume. I do love the significance that that it held and how her mom made it for her mm-hmm. and how they sort of like pieced it together in it in every episode, uh, which also I'm like, why did you change it for the movie? Like they, mm-hmm. they uh, photo from the set. Now she could only have that for five minutes and then go back to her thing or whatever, but they need to bring back the costume she had in this one. It was beautiful. The significance that it held with her family was great. Um, also, the final talk she has with her dad about what her name means. Fantastic. Yeah, I was going to bring up the, the name part because uh, like both the scenes with her parents in the finale were some of the best. Like when her mom gives her the costume and it's in the toffee box, which like her mom, her grandmother had like all these toffee boxes and her mom even comments about them when they're in Pakistan. And so it's just like kind of bringing that as a little callback to that. And then her dad, she was just like the sweetest throughout the whole show. Like, I love her dad so much. Um, But, yeah, the telling of what, you know, why they named her Kamala and then, you know, saying, you know, our little Miss Marvel and just, uh, ah, so good. And him not knowing who Carol is, I think is pretty funny to you. Mm -hmm. I don't know who that is, but um, which should we talk about that as well? That one last yeah, oh, I totally <laughs> forgot about the pull credits. Yeah, 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 my bad. Oops. <laughs> no, you're good. It's a lot. Um, I mean, there's not much to go off of, right? So it's just like she showed up, and like we know they're going to be together in the Marvels. So um, I think it's definitely a a switch situation, not a transformation, but a switch of positions kind of thing. But I don't know what yeah. caused it. Like, did she find the other bangle? Because that was never addressed. They had mentioned mm-hmm. there were two of them. And we never heard about the second bangle ever again. Yeah. I hope she's somewhere on a planet with oxygen and not randomly in space. That would be very traumatic. I've seen those, uh, I've seen those jokes. It was, pretty, it was pretty mean. Oh, man. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, she, like, with the, with the way the science works, she wouldn't be, like, gone right away. And she could throw up a, a shield um, or something. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I, I have, uh, you, you may not know this now, but I have a, a complicated, uh, history with Captain Marvel. My favorite, uh, X-Men was Rogue growing up from, and, and then seeing the X-Men animated series. And I'm like, you got beef with my girl Rogue. I got beef with you. <laughs> and then I let up on that. And then Civil War II happened and she tried to arrest Miles for something he didn't do. And yeah. I was like, we back at it, Carol. It's me and you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's also what I really started arguing with. Uh, 
Miss Marvel because she was just like, this isn't right. And she was like, I'm going to go with Miles. And I'm like, yeah, rip friend. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I mean, sorry, you go. I was going to say, yeah, I think my my guess is because like we saw the one bangle on like a bluish hand. So maybe like it's it's Cree and she was fighting some Cree and retrieved it. I don't know. That's the only thing I can think of. Um, I'm just wondering what like Kamala's mom is going to say when like Carolyn mm-hmm. walked downstairs and is just like, uh, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and oh. They, and they have confirmed you- that like her family is going to be in a Marvel's movie, which oh, is good. good. Uh, do y'all I think this is connected to Shang-Chi because uh, uh, that Carol was in, in the yeah. post yeah it was in the post credits you saw the ten rings in this one like could the ten rings be made the same thing that the uh, bongo was could it? Could that have been the other one you know is there a whole set could all like, of them have been made by Fastos like there's there, there's a lot because, like, the, in the end of uh, Shang-Chi, they were like, this is, like, really, really old or mm-hmm. something like that. So I was like, well, who's really, really old, been around for thousands of years and makes golden weapons? And it, it's calling out somewhere. The rings were, so I'm sure the, the bongo was oh. as well. Oh, yeah. That's a good point, too. So we'll see. Man, yeah, yeah. I mean, there. Yeah, I'm curious. I so yeah. I mean, with the. I mean, we'll get into it hopefully at the end. But with the complaints that like Phase Four doesn't have like any threads, or Phase Four is a bunch of random stories. There are they are setting up little things here and there. I just think that uh, (laughs) the fandom has no sense of patience whatsoever, and Mm -hmm. I blame uh, Endgame and uh, Chris uh, No Way Home. I can talk about uh, Chris. I know how you feel about No Way Home, so I can talk about later how No Way Home uh, ruined Marvel movies. It didn't really. Mm. But the fan, the way fandom, the way it's the ruined fandom fans' is, expectations. Fan expectations, yeah, it's taking sure. a hit. So, I want us to get into Thor: Love and Thunder? So, it's the latest movie uh, to come out in the Marvel universe. Um, so, I guess to just start us off, Thor, Love and Thunder, we're following Thor after Avengers Endgame. He's been chilling with the Guardians of the Galaxy. He's still really trying to find himself. I mean, at this point in Thor's like story, he's lost pretty much everyone important to him, except uh, he's lost his whole family. He's lost Heimdall. Um, him and Jane are broken up. Um, in this movie, you kind of pick up with them. Um, so you have a storyline that's partially, I mean, part of the storyline is Thor is trying to figure out, you know, really what he wants to do next. We're also reintroduced to Jane Foster, who's sort of like Thor's love interest in the first two Thor movies. And then um, Natalie Portman. <laughs> and then uh, Natalie Portman didn't want to do any more movies. She was gone for a while. They were able to get her back. And in this one, we find out that Jane Foster has cancer. And uh, she's kind of looking for a way to, you know, kind of deal with her disease. She decides to venture to New Asgard, which has almost become like a, almost like an amusement park in some ways. Mm-hmm. And um, the the shards of the hammer reform into uh, Thor's first hammer, Mjolnir, and she's able to get the powers of Thor. So, um, yeah, uh, this movie, I, you know... 
Definitely controversial to say the least. Um, it opened pretty big, but the second week um, sales definitely fell quite a bit. Um, I best I think the best way to describe this movie is that it was mixed. There are people who absolutely hated it, and this is the worst Marvel movie ever. Da da da. And there's people who legitimately enjoyed this movie and had a lot of fun with it. So I guess we could just go into thoughts about um, Love and Thunder in general. Did you like it? Did you not like it? Things of that nature. And then we can just uh, go into a discussion. And then we can talk about, too, like, kind of the state, I think, of, like, Mar the Marvel fandom in general, since we like to talk about fandom culture on, on the podcast. So, yeah. Any thoughts? Yeah. I, uh, so, every everyone that has listened to this podcast since Ragnarok came out, or any time we mention Ragnarok, knows that I absolutely loathed that movie i did oh, not wow. like it i did not like it in a boat i did not like it on a moat i did not like it in a tree i did not like it with bees i did not like it at all wow um, but true i enjoyed this movie better than than ragnarok which is interesting because a lot of people that love you ragnarok like it at all. Yeah. don't like this movie so i think for me it was like i love gore we needed mm -hmm. more of him. We needed more showing versus telling for his story. Uh, I absolutely love Jane and uh, the mighty Thor, Dr. Jane Foster. She we needed more of her. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and I think the this movie is under two hours. You could have took another 20 minutes and gave, uh, gave us more. You could have showed us her first transformation. You could have shown us Gore fighting more, uh, fighting more people um, and, and fleshed out more uh, of both of their uh, respective arcs. Uh, when it comes to Thor, this is like the fifth movie in a row where he's trying to find himself. <laughs> uh, can can he finally find himself? Also, can Thor go a movie without losing a person, please? Um, <laughs> let's see. Valkyrie was kind of shelved in the third act. Didn't really like that, but I love her. Um this movie was, I think, for the most part, visually beautiful when it came to, like, the fight scenes. Um, uh, so, like, especially, like, the black and white fight. I yeah. would have loved it. The final fight was in that realm. That was yeah. really cool. They, they could have done more there. Um, yeah. I, I my, my One of my main criticisms comes from, we were supposed to get Valkyrie finding her queen in this movie. What happened to that? They gave it to is us. Is it gonna happen? Is it gonna happen in the Marvels? Because she's in it. <laughs> I yeah, yeah. That that was interesting that that got cut. And I, you know, definitely the biggest criticism in this movie is that as much as we give Marvel crap for making long movies, this is one that definitely could have been longer. You could have had more gore. You could have had more Valkyrie. You could have had more Guardians. Um. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I will, I definitely don't know why, I, yeah, I'm curious why they, they probably had a storyline in mind when they made that announcement, then they cut it, but, um, first, uh, yeah, Nav, what did you think about the movie overall? Yeah, I enjoyed it, I thought it was a fun movie, um, pretty much everything Chris said, actually, I agree with, I, I mean, I still enjoyed Thor's story. I think they execute his story well, but yes, he is like still finding himself, which is interesting. Um, but him and Jane's like their their stories and their relationship are the core of the film, and I think that is executed really well. Um, 
I loved seeing, you know, Jane back, Natalie Portman back, um, and seeing her as the mighty Thor was just thrilling. It was a lot of fun. Like that first uh, introduction to her when they're fighting uh, the the creatures that attack New Asgard and Thor is just like, totally like, who, who is this person? Like, I just really like that, but I, I would have liked to see her initial like transformation and everything. Cause she's like super adept with Mjolnir and like using it, especially like the pieces for like the pieces technique or whatever, like where it breaks. I was like, where'd she just like learn? She just, not that I have an issue with it. I was just like, Oh, she's just like a natural. Okay, cool. Um, but the, yeah, the biggest thing for me is I wanted more gore um, because, like, I thought his intro was so compelling. Like, it's the first thing we are even shown in the movie, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, is his little, you know, like him with his daughter and then his daughter dies. And he, he stumbles upon the god and the god just, like, laughs in his face when he asks for his reward. And so that's, like, the moment. That's all it, not all it took, but, like, that was... The reason I guess I, I really enjoyed the two is because, like, I'm a man of faith and I've been in that position, like, emotionally where I, like, renounce God and I've, like, given up on faith because of certain things that have happened in my life. And so I was just like, oh, this is going to be a really, like, interesting exploration of, like, loss of faith and, and uh, you know, this character could be really, really compelling. And then we got, like, three or four more scenes with him total. And, like, I think that he was only ever shown with, like, with a... Thor, other than that one time he talked to the children. But other than that, it was, you know, whenever Thor shows up and encounters him, I, there might be one or two that I'm missing, but it just felt like it was really about Thor's story, which is fine, but you had this opportunity to, like, show... Do you remember in Ragnarok when Hela just, like, wrecks everybody on Asgard? Yeah. Like, I wish we got something like that with Gore facing a, a bunch of gods and, like, just showing how absolutely hell-bent on taking out all the gods he is. I think that one would, scene would have been just, like, enough to, to satiate at least me in terms of what I wanted from Gore. Um, and then, I, I mean, I get why they did what they did with the end, but I kind of wish the route they took was him coming to an acceptance of life as opposed to, like, his daughter comes back, but he dies. I don't know, it just... It, it's the MCU, it's magical, it's fantastical, so I get it, but... It would have been a way more compelling story for, in my mind, if it was just like he had to accept that, you know, this is just like life happens and we can't even with gods, like you can't control everything that happens and you just kind of have to navigate it as best you can with what what you have in your life. And I thought that would have been a better, you know, or more interesting ending, maybe not better, but just more interesting. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's a it's a fun movie. It's a nice, simple movie. I think, you know, we can get into this later, but what you both were saying about, like, expectations and, and scale, you know, Endgame and No Way Home definitely raised the, the expectation of scale of, mm-hmm. of MCU films. And, like, Thor, Love and Thunder is just... It's an MCU film. It's a fun yeah. film. And if you go into it thinking, like, it's an MCU film, but it's not, like, this great spectacle or this great epic saga that's supposed to no I don't think we can ever have a film like Endgame ever again I just don't even think it's possible no matter what villain you introduce like I don't care if you introduce Galactus or Kang next I just don't think you can replicate a 10 year like saga the way we had with the, the first three phases and trying to hold on and hope for that to show up is 
setting yourself, in my opinion, setting yourself up to be heavily disappointed with every project. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. We can get into that in a minute. I mean, so I, yeah, I definitely agree that with the with the gore. So someone said that one thing that one thing someone said online that struck with me is that like Christian Bell's gore was really good, but they feel like he was in the wrong movie and gore should not have been the villain for this movie. That if you were going for a silly Thor film where Thor's trying to find himself, you could have had you know. I'm trying to think of Thor villain, villains. You could have had Enchantress or someone else. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if you were going to use Thor, I mean, Gore, you could have used him for, yeah, a more serious film where maybe you are exploring, like, faith, you know, and what it means to lose faith and things of that. And, and you know, can you lose, you know, and people struggling with faith and things of that nature. Because, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I definitely agree with you on that. I mean, as far as my thoughts on the movie... Um, I, I, so the thing is, I saw enough of the reaction. People are saying that it was too silly. So I just knew going into it that like, okay, I'm not going to have, I'm going to, you know, come in here and just try to have as much fun as I can and just relax and chill out. And I was able to enjoy it. Um, and that way I pretty much echo both of you guys' criticisms, you know, need a more gore, need a more Valkyrie. Um, I thought it was interesting, you know, that like, all the scenes with the Guardians were, like, in the trailer. And mm. Taika Waititi said that he pretty much... I don't think Taika really wanted the Guardians in the movie at all. I think he mainly was like, listen, the Guardians have their own movies coming up. There's a group special and a Christmas special. So he was just like, I needed to get them out of the... He, pretty, he didn't say it like that, but he was like, I want to get them out of the movie as much as possible. So I do feel like there was probably some idea of like a Thor Guardians movie that maybe they thought they're going to do after Endgame that maybe got scrapped somewhere down the line. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, I agree with most of the, most of the criticisms. Um, I did like, one thing I, I did like Jane in the movie. I did like Valkyrie when she was in it. I liked that Valkyrie and Jane sort of had like a, a sisterhood. I'm pretty sure this movie did end up passing the uh, the Bechtel test because I'm pretty because there's a scene where uh, Valkyrie and Jane they talk about Jane's cancer. I don't think they mentioned Thor at mm. all. So I'm like, oh, look at that. So I did like that. Um, you know, just thought we could have seen more of it. Um, um, I liked. So you, know, some people did not like. So the scene with Zeus. Um, mm. Some people are like were upset that Zeus like wasn't as cool as they wanted him to be, but I'm kind of like I feel like in general like in mythology portrayals I've seen Zeus is never like Zeus is never that cool, and if you get into like lore with him, he's like Zeus is terrible. Zeus is yeah. like you know he's a rapist, he's a bad per- you know Zeus is a bad person has all these different kids he doesn't care about so I was okay with the Zeus portrayal of kind of just being like you know they, they made him like almost like an arrogant like showman um, mm-hmm. and you know they steal his thunderbolt and leave um, so I was I didn't mind Zeus's portrayal in that way especially because they tease Hercules at the end who is yeah. as far as Marvel characters Hercules is you know I don't know if he's He's been super popular in solo stuff, but Hercules is kind of always around. Like, he's fought Thor, he's been a part of the Avengers, he's been in a lot of events, so I didn't didn't mind the um, Zeus-Hercules-type deal at all in this movie. And I also really liked the finale. 
So Thor yeah. had given the powers to the kids and the kids get in the fight. I thought yeah. that was really cool. Because, you know, they're so, they make fun of so many Marvel movies for having, you know, the giant beam in the sky. Or mm-hmm. Taika Waititi said he did not want to have a scene where, like, he didn't want to have an in-game style scene where all Thor's friends come up to help him out, things of that nature. It was mostly Thor and Jane. And him yeah. actually giving the powers to kids and the kids find the monsters, I thought it was cool. Especially because I believe most of the kids in the that were there were like it was Tyka's kids and Natalie Portman's kids and um, Christian Bale's kids were in there. So I'm like, man, that would be a super cool thing to say you did. You know, yeah. you're like, yo, you got to be in a Marvel movie. You know, so that was um. So yeah, I actually enjoyed that quite a bit. And then um, Jane dying. At first, I was kind of sad that like, oh, we're only getting her for one movie because the Mighty Thor was around for a little while until I think she does die in the comics eventually. But mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Natalie Portman like wanted to be around for one movie. They did out of because I believe that Marvel used to have a lot of their actors and like they like multi year contracts, and I think now. I, I think now they're not they're not as tight around the actors. So I think what they did with Jane, I, I, I think that Natalie Portman mainly just wanted to do this movie. You know, she ends up going about Hallow, which I did think was a nice message that, you know, she was able to go there because, you know, she was battling her cancer and things of that nature. So mm-hmm. I do feel like, you know, with her being dead, but kind of being in another realm, her and Heimdall in her place where it's like, you could use those characters again if you wanted to at some point, but sure. you also don't have to. There's there's also no need if they don't want to go in that direction. So I was I was okay with that. I liked the Idris Elba cameo at the end because mm-hmm. he was one of the actors that I do feel like um, the MCU just did not know what to do with him. I think when he was cast in the first Thor movie, he wasn't as maybe big of an actor as he is now. And it's like, you know, going back, I definitely think you could have cast Idris Elba as a much bigger character. Um, and Chris and I have had these, uh, had talks about it before that, you know, they could have done much more Idris Elba, you know, if things were planned out a certain way. Um, so yeah, I mean, those are kind of my, that I, I kind of, I went over a bunch, but those are kind of like my, I guess my basic thoughts of the movie. So to me, it was like, I'd say it was a six out of 10. Like I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Definitely wouldn't see it in theaters again, but like, mm-hmm. you know, when I rewatch it on Disney Plus, sure. Am I gonna if I do a, a Marvel rewatch at some point, I'd still watch it again. Like, if I get skipped, you know. Sure. So yeah, those are uh, yeah, those yeah. are kind of my my main thoughts. Yeah, I thought something similar about like bringing back Jane and Natalie Portman. I don't know if it was because of how un uh, like how poorly received a dark world was. And it's just like, maybe she even wanted, or the, everybody just wanted a chance to like do over in a way. And it's like, this is like a a way to like give her a proper story with like a proper, you know, time on screen and then give her a nice send off as well, as opposed to like after dark world, she was just like never really seen again. And it was kind of awkward and weird. And we were just like, Oh, I guess Jane's just, she was mentioned a lot. Thor was like, oh, well, like, I had this girlfriend, Jane. Like, he, she, he mentioned her a lot, but it was just kind of like, you know, Dark World was viewed so negatively, so it was just ignored a lot. So this, in my head at least, maybe this is my own, you know, canon that I'm creating, but I felt like they, they had this movie and they brought back Jane and did this whole story just to kind of give her a more proper send-off. Um, 
But I definitely enjoyed her as Thor and her story battling cancer. Like, I just thought that was... It It wasn't connected to Thor, right? Like, it be, obviously, they, their paths intertwined, but mm-hmm. it was just nice that she had her own story um, and then just happened to, you know, coincide with Thor. Um, I think the point that you had mentioned also about, like, the 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 gore being better for another type of film would it could have worked with thor you know like maybe a movie or two ago because like after infinity war if they had done a movie or something you could have totally had a character like gore who's a bit more you know serious and thor after infinity war is just done right like he's just so gone like emotionally and mentally because of everything he's lost and like now he's on the the recovery so it's a little less, you know, not that you can't do it, but yeah, what the the way they went with Gore in this movie, it's it's like it doesn't fit one Taika's vibe. Not that he can't do a more serious movie, but it's just not what he wants to do with Thor. And then it doesn't fit the Thor character at the current time. That's the other thing I feel. Yeah, I would uh definitely agree. So uh Chris, I don't know if you heard. Yeah, so one, one thing I said is that uh, I feel like Gore was a good villain, but not in the movie that he should have been in, if that made sense. And you could have used, you know, a sillier villain, like Enchantress or something like that. Um, because, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I just, I, I I mostly agree that, like, I feel like, yeah, he should have fought, the, he should have fought Gore when he was more depressed and things of that nature. Because at this point... I mean, and when this movie opens up, I mean, he's definitely doing better than he was in Endgame. He's just kind of looking for his next, like, thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what we get at the end of the movie is, what did you think about at the end of the movie, Thor being a dad, right? Him being in, he decides to, you know, Gore's able to get his daughter back and Gore is up dying and he ends up adopting. Jane, wish, Jane wants him to and he ends up adopting Gore's daughter in there and her name is love so they're going around as love and thunder i actually i actually thought that that was a good place to leave him because it is kind of in a place where it's like hey thor's just out here doing this thing you can use him again if you need to if not there's not a huge like oh what is thor up to um but what did you think about uh what did you think about that ending uh so before we get to the ending with gore i feel like if they took the Thor portion of who he wanted to be or maybe what kind of God he wanted to be, it would work out better. But I feel like they didn't really take that path with him. Yeah. And so when you did have this more serious uh, tone with Gore and with Jane, that that's where the movie kind of disconnected with, with Thor um, and reduced Gore for at least for Thor for a bad guy for him to, to beat up. Um, because for as as much as this movie talked about the gods, we did not really have an introduction to that realm before. Because yes, Thor is the god of thunder, but for the most part, this universe has treated them like aliens. You know, just mm-hmm. more you know, a more technologically advanced alien. You know, so um, I, I think they could have done a better job with that. Uh, the love and thunder part, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Better that it's even better that that's his actual daughter. Uh, and I was just like, 
that pancake and boots argument was probably unscripted. <laughs> that was that was probably real. Uh, but yeah, no, I think I think it was good, and they they had dropped enough breadcrumbs throughout it that it made sense that he was going to become a dad uh, at the end. Um, but I also do think that I didn't really care about his and Jane's relationship in this because it's been eight years since we've seen her. And at the time of Thor The Dark World, they weren't really in a relationship. So, like, you know that silly Thor short we got, like, during Civil War where, you know, it's like, oh, where's Thor? If you had shown, like, these clips in that, you at least have something for people to draw on. But it seems like for this movie and Multiverse of Madness, when it comes to the uh, main uh, straight male lead and the main straight female lead, you're relying more on what if than you are your previous uh, movies. Don't, don't get me started on Multiverse, man. <laughs> I have so many thoughts about that. It, it's it's just like you know I feel like I got more of a good relationship or their connection in what if than I did in, in these two movies for both Christine and Stephen and with Thor and, and Jane. I mean, didn't uh, on our on one on the multiverse review didn't uh, Cat Lady JJ say say that the universe Marvel the MCU is very sexless and I'm like oh she's she's not wrong. Yeah. I mean the uh, I mean the best. I mean the few the few good relationships that you I mean the, you only had so many I mean you know I like Peter Parker and MJ um, I never cared for Tony and Pepper that much I felt like Tony was always a dick to Pepper Potts and she just put up with them yep. <laughs> and it's like Pepper Potts definitely could have done better TBH um, unless you just want unless you know aside from maybe not someone richer than uh, Tony in that universe but definitely like. A better person so yeah. yeah it is like you're looking at the couples um a lot of people don't like steve and pecky because steve like you know he jumped back yeah. in time and dished his best friend <laughs> and ignored uh wait chris he ignored the uh the civil rights movement mm. and uh you know all he, he ignored all the problems he ignored all his problems to go and be with his girlfriend so it's like the Mar- marvel's track records on romance is not that great um. So yeah, I, mean, I would definitely. I, I would, I'd agree. If they don't, if they don't recast T'Challa, we will be this close on the verge of greatness with T'Challa and Nakia. Uh, yeah, that Chris. It, it's. I don't even want to. I forget that that movie's coming out this year. Mm-hmm. I'm just. It's I, gonna be a very emotional podcast for me when we talk about it. Uh oh yeah probably but, but um. Yeah. Um, you know what? Oh, the one last thing about Thor: Love and Thunder I'd like to t- mention though yeah. is Axel. I loved Axel. Oh, he's cool. I, I, I don't know why. I don't have a kid. <laughs> That's a good question. But, but I don't even like he wasn't even super like prominent. But I just I enjoyed him. Maybe it's just because like I love Idris Elba, so I was just like, oh, he's just like carrying on the spirit of Idris Elba. I'm just like, <laughs> if I can't have Idris, I'll take whoever could like kind of carry that spirit i don't know but like i just i want to see more of him i think it'll be interesting to include him in future stories 
Yeah, I'm. Yeah, and I mean, I I enjoyed Axel quite a bit too. I mean, I mentioned before that I like the kids at the end, you know, getting powers. Sure. You know, it's interesting that like you know people always think of like comic book stuff as like a child medium, and you know, it's something that people grew up with. But you don't really get a lot of you don't really get a lot of kids in Marvel movies or Marvel stuff. Really, it's mostly like adults dealing with adult problems, which is fine. But it is just like. But yeah, no, I did like that he was in there. I feel like they almost knew that it was like BS. Like, oh yeah, Heimdall had a kid that we never mentioned, or <laughs> he had a whole wife. He, I mean, because I saw the mom, so it's like Heimdall probably had a whole like wife, and you know, it's just like never mentioned. Okay, but like for the style of for this style of movie, I feel like that worked. You know, yeah. so listen, he sees everything, but no one sees anything about him. That's how Heimdall functions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then, and then you had a good payoff with Idris Elba showing up at the end as well. So, because Chris, I mean, we were talking about how, you know, the MCU was not kind to Idris Elba. He was pretty much underutilized the entire time. Um, mm-hmm. He was in it pretty much because they cast him. When they cast him, he wasn't as big of an actor as he is now, right? So it's just one of the unfortunate parts of the MCU. So I'm glad that he got to at least show up. You know, hopefully, maybe he can have a Disney Plus show about Hala Adventures. You know, because he I, deserves I think, better. Uh, yeah, it's interesting that his son was more integral to a plot in one film than he was in <laughs> three and and some change. Uh, but he did, though, for that, he did, that, he did play a role in the Infinity War in the beginning. He's the one who sent Hulk to Earth to warn everybody that Thanos was coming. You know, but it's still some like, value in Ragnarok. So, yeah, but That's it's why still I said like three and some change. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently, he was like, you know, uh, Taika was like, "Yeah, sure, you can kill him in Infinity War." I'm like, Taika, why? Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, so. Uh, overall, it was an okay uh, film. It could have used they they had the time. They should have used it. Um, I do want to see. Uh, there, I I made a video talking about a certain creator's criticism of the post credit scene surrounding oh. Foster. Oh, I saw. Uh, I I I, saw I, video. I don't understand why people. Well, one that's a beautiful send off for her. She mm-hmm. may not come back, and if she doesn't come back, it ends there, and that is a beautiful moment. It means something to people that are battling cancer, that have lost those that uh, uh, due to cancer. So to try and take that moment and then center it around Thor, 10 or 15 years down the line when Chris Hemsworth decides he's done with it, that, that, that's asinine to me. Mm-hmm. And it it shows like you wanted this cameo filled moment, which takes it away from Jane's story. And yeah, yeah, and I mean this this is where we'll get into the fandom thing probably in the net, you know, just a second. But you know, it's like people are watching these movies for not you know we talk about cameos. They're watching these movies for moments, you know, the Marvel clapping moments. And not really thinking about, like, stories and arcs and, hey, a character has to start in one place and get someplace else, you know, and, you know, you know, and how 
you know, I mean, even for how jokey as Marvel can get, you know, it's like there's, you know, that scene with you're right. That scene with Jane at the end was needed to like close a book on that character. And it's not closed completely. They could do more if they wanted to. But if they never, ever mentioned Jane Foster again, you at least did that character justice. You at least, you know, gave them an arc and you gave them a story kind of as Nav was saying, and that was fine. So like, if you ended up, you know, just, re- if you ended up reducing that to just like a cameo filled moment where Odin's there and his mom's there and Loki's there and maybe Hela's there. Like, it's just kind of, then it becomes like a cameo thing. And, um, you know, I had one joke, one thing I said, I said earlier that I felt like no way home <laughs> ruined Marvel movies just because, People expect like a barrage of cameos and everything they see, and they want these moments to be like, "Oh my God, this is the movie, this is the show, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And I love cameos. I love, I like Easter eggs. I love cameos. But you, the story, story has to come first, and should be the more, it should be the most important thing. Because the thing with cameos is that like once the shock value is gone, like that's it. So if there's no like meat there, then you know the the art form of the project is not going to age as well. So um, yeah, is there? Um, I guess do we have any other thoughts about Thor before we could uh, talk about the fandom before we wrap up? I I, I think well actually I don't think I, I can just go into uh, to the fandom if if y'all don't have anything else. Yeah, I'm, I'm I've said everything I need about Thor. I, I think it's interesting that this fandom, because I remember prior to in, I want to say probably more prior to uh, Age of Ultron, when it came to the solo movies, the criticism was like, okay, why aren't the other Avengers showing up in these movies? Not for cameo sake, but because it's like, okay, Iron Man 3, the president of the United States gets kidnapped and Captain America doesn't show up. That was a big problem like, in phase two, yeah. People. Yeah, like that was a, a big criticism in, in, in phase two. And then like Winter Soldier, Shield's being taken down. You mentioned Tony, you don't give Tony a call. Like, you know, you know like things like that. And so now it's getting like, okay, well, who's going to show up in, in this film? And it's like, do they need to? Mm-hmm. You know, like one of my big criticisms with No Way Home was like, I loved seeing Andrew and Toby again and loved seeing, you know, even in the, the films that came back, you know, uh, seeing uh, Willem Dafoe as uh, Green Goblin and Jamie Foxx as uh, Electro. But for me, like the story falls apart. So while it's nice to see it, like I haven't seen No Way Home again. And maybe I'll see the new edition when it comes out on Disney Plus, like with the, you know, the extra scenes. But I, I don't know if I want to watch it again. Uh, I can see clips of it and be fine and not have to sit through the movie and, and, and get, get to those parts, which... Uh, like I saw Endgame like three times in theaters when it came out, even though I know I'm like, I got to sit through this first hour and a half to get to the second hour and a half, but it'll be worth it. Endgame's first hour and a half isn't bad, though. Once you kind of, well, we'll, we'll I enjoy it. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying it's bad, but it's just like once you know what, what's going to happen, sure. like especially at the end, you're just like, all right, let's get to it. Let's get to it. Just rewatch the final battle on YouTube and repeat. <laughs> yeah, that's over, over almost again. an hour, dude. It's like forty minutes, almost an hour of the final battle. It's wild. Oh man, 
<laughs> yeah, I, I mean, so I like No Hell, No Way Home more than you. I think No Way Home, to No Way Home to me still holds up, but holds up itself as a movie. And I mean, at least in that, the Toby and Andrew cameos, and I mean, not they were cameos. Toby and Andrew were like characters in that movie. They were distinct mm-hmm. from Tom Spider Man. They both had kind of like little plot lines from their movies that kind of got wrapped up in there. You know, they're the purpose of them being in there, but. You know, I, I I think sometimes a fandom just wants, like, cameos for cameos' sake. And, like, it started with, remember, Mephist- people wanted Mephisto and WandaVision. It started there. And then it just, like, it's just snowballed, like, in everything. People are expecting someone to show up. And it's sort of, like, it's okay for just, like, a show to be about its, you know, central cast or a movie to be about a central cast and, like, that's it and have self-contained stories. And I think, you know, people are like... And, and there's a debate over these, these, you know, these pieces, they're not as connected as they should be. But I think what's different now with Phase 4 compared to earlier phases where originally we were getting, like, one or two Marvel movies a year. Now mm-hmm. we're getting, like... What, last year was, what, 11 projects? In this year, we've had, what, two movies and two shows, I want to say? Two movies and two shows, I think. So it's like, we're getting way more content, but in, like, less time. So, like, we have to, between, like, Iron Man 1 and Avengers, you have to wait, like, four years for that to happen, you know? And we haven't had, we've only been having Marvel content for, like, a year and a half. It's just they've been throwing, they've just thrown a lot more at us, I think. Um, and people, and I think it's kind of messing with people's patience where they're like, okay, well, what's next? And it's like, they're clearly like using this space to sort of reset some of their universe, bring in new characters because, you know, Iron, Man, Iron Man's gone, Cap's gone, Widow's gone, things of that nature. So they have to do more to like build that before they start having like massive crossovers again that makes sense i i think for me the only ones that i have had a problem with and i don't need these overarching like these 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 in your face connections but it's the multiverse movie so no way home multiverse of madness and uh loki when loki's not a movie but that loki sort of like breaks open the multiverse, you know, for from the branching timelines. And now he who remains the head of the TVA. You have multiverse of madness where Wanda's hopping through these timelines, breaking the multiverse and nothing, you know, no references yeah. to in any way, shape or form with that. And then no way home. You have Peter Parker through strange breaking the multiverse as it comes to him and so you have these three movies where the multiverse is being forgot about what if too manipulated what if at least doesn't shatter the 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 multiverse besides like the ultron part but that is still pretty self uh contained but now you have other like in multiverse matters you have these other uh, like the Illuminati knows about the multiverse. So how many other strangers know about the multiverse and have been hopping through them? Um, so it's just kind of like that should matter in relation to those stories. Besides just a mention of, oh yeah, there was this one adventure with Spider-Man. And then it's like, wait, how do you remember that? <laughs> what do you remember? <laughs> uh, 
So it's just kind of like, all right, that part needs to be. But the setting up for the next Avengers film, you got a couple good villains in, and he who remains should have been Wanda. That's a different story. Um, and then you have the Celestials. Like you have a lot of options. Just just let the story develop. And people are like, well, Marvel doesn't know where they're going. No, you don't know where they're going. Marvel does. They're just not telling you. And and, and that's okay. Yeah, I mean, it's funny too, because if you look at phase one, you can definitely see a lack of cohesion. Like they have mentions in each movie, but like, as a meme anything really it was just it was literally just a teaser for the next film because i've been i've i started a rewatch of the films like months ago and i just remember like each film then like had something that kind of you know either showed another character was it in iron man 2 where they had the the hammer mentioned for thor or yeah, something iron like that man, iron yeah. man 2 the hammer was the post credit scene yeah. yeah exactly but then that was it that's the only connective tissue in that film to the the rest of the universe and like with Miss Marvel, there's the Ten Rings with the bangles. So, like, we there's something. We don't know what it is, what it means, but, like... And then, obviously, Captain Marvel shows up. So there are connections, like, that are pretty overt. It's not like they're subtle and, like, we just, like, miss them. And so it's, it's a strange argument, especially because, like... I don't know why people expect to have had Endgame and then just, like, jump into the next big story like that doesn't make sense because we just had 10 years of build to thanos that wasn't like four movies and then we got thanos we had to 10 whole years and 22 films or someone not 22 yeah 20 it was it's it's something ridiculous like that we took that many films to do infinity war and people are like well when's the next big thing happen i don't know <laughs> and i'm like excited to find out what they do and like it's a fun thing to discuss when it's not like people belittling each other. Like, I love talking to my brothers and my friends. Like, I think it's going to be Kang or maybe they'll introduce someone else and stuff like that. But none of us are like, well, you, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about because I don't know what Marvel's plan is. But it, it's a really weird thing of like, and we had alluded to this before, of Endgame and probably to an extent No Way Home. But also the... I don't know if I, maybe it is TikTok specifically, but the community that has been built about comics and MCU talk within the last three years, which has been primarily like TikTok, because like people have been talking about it plenty on other social media platforms, but I feel like with TikTok, it's evolved so much in how we have discourse about these films because there's now all these influencers who talk about them and throw out their theories and their ideas and they influence people like this. Whether intentionally or not, they do have an impact on how people uh, analyze and understand these films. And like with Miss Marvel, for example, it wouldn't have, I wouldn't have cared if the little, the like four notes of the X-Men theme played or not. It wouldn't have made a difference to me. Like if it didn't happen, I wouldn't have been like upset. I, would have, I wouldn't even have thought of it. The fact that it did happen is just like a cool thing. And the fact that we live in a time of comic book movies where that can happen and people can even get upset or excited about it. like the fact that there's a disagreement and we live in a time where we can have a disagreement about if it's good or bad is just is wild in the best way possible because like 
in 2000, we didn't have all these movies that we could just be like, oh, have you seen, like, what do you think about the latest Doctor Strange? Who would have thought a Doctor Strange film would have existed, existed yeah. 20 years ago? Yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem with Base 4 as much as many people do with, like, saying, like, oh, you know, th- this is too different. And this isn't like, you know, where where the connections where it's just like, I mean, yes, it's a cinematic universe, but you also have to remember that these are based off of comic books and uh, comic books have crossover events like big crossover events every few years. They may have some smaller ones every once in a while between a hero or two, but it's not guaranteed. And uh, unless the story calls for it. It, it, it's it's not necessary, and also a lot of these characters are new and haven't met yet. So, like, let let things play out. Yeah, and I mean, I think too, Chris, kind of like what you said. I think the MCU they're trying to reflect comic book storyline storytelling a little bit more, where you have a bunch of separate issues that are all these characters all doing their own thing. Sometimes they cross over when it makes sense. And then every once in a while, you know, you'll have team up books, right? So you'll get an Avengers book, the champions, young Avengers, etc. And then every once in a while, there's like a huge multiversal, like DC likes to do their crisis, right? And then Marvel will do whatever they can come up with. So it's like, I feel like they're trying to model that. Because, like, even in the comics, people are like, oh, no one's mentioned Moon Knight. It's like, no other characters really care what Moon Knight is up to on a given day. <laughs> you know, Thor does not worry. Thor is never worrying about what Moon Knight is doing on a Tuesday. Like, they're all doing their own thing and only ever meet when there's something that's relevant to all of them. You know, some, like, universal ending threat or an alien invasion or something, like, crazy like that. So... Um, I mean, I think the moral of the story is that people definitely just need to be more patient. You know, it's kind of, as we, we're recording this, I don't know if we'll get it up, but uh, before then, but Comic Con's this weekend, right? So mm-hmm. I think Marvel they 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 confirm they're going to be there. They're going to make some announcements. Yeah, but a lot of things are going to be saved for D twenty three. Apparently, I think it was a Deadline article that said that. Oh, really? When is D twenty three? It's usually in the fall. Usually in the fall. Okay. I feel, I mean, maybe they'll do, because I, because we're getting towards the end of like that. You remember that original slate they have for phase four? Mm-hmm. We've gotten through a lot of that. I could see them releasing parts of the slate because they've done it before where they show off parts of their slate. And then in the mm-hmm. fall, they fill it in with more stuff. Because I think when they did the original like Disney Plus a lot announcement, a lot of the shows that we have now. They weren't all on there, I think, you know, and some were added later. So we'll we'll see. And, you know, the fandom's going to go through a cycle of like overhyping something and then, you know, like and then, you know, liking it and then hating it months later. Um, Because one thing is interesting. uh, So one thing that we didn't mention, we, we haven't mentioned at all. There's rumors that, um, I mean, we've had, we had Charlie Cox's Daredevil and No Way Home and Kingpin and Hawkeye. So there's rumors that they're both going to be in the Echo show, right? And I saw a TikToker, he made a good point. He was like, I forget his name, but he was like, if there's an Echo show, that show needs to be about Echo, not about Daredevil and Kingpin, right? If they're in it, that's cool. 
But what can happen is that the fandom will do what it always does, where they expect a Daredevil season four, and maybe he's not in the show at all. Maybe he's in it for 10 minutes. And if they don't get that, they're going to be like, oh, this show sucks. And it's like, if, if they're doing an Echo show on Disney+, Plus, the show's going to be about Echo, you know? You hope? Mm-hmm. I mean, I like a reboot of Daredevil and to see some of the Defenders again and whatnot. But I think that, you know... There's, it's like a cycle of like, okay, news and rumors and what's real and what's not. And if people don't get like the most like cameo fuel thing, they're upset, you know? So I guess it's just, it's something to watch out for. Yeah, there's, at least in my view, there's definitely a focus on the, the singular moments and the cameos a lot of the time. And so it's always interesting for me because I... Not that I don't enjoy that stuff, but I watch movies and I really focus on like the story and the characters. So it's such a disconnect when I come across all these videos or all these reviews and all these analyses about like, oh, this came even happen or this theory could lead to Mephisto, for example. Whereas I'm like episode, uh, you know, like three of WandaVision. I'm just like, oh, this is so interesting the way they did like these little like elements of the show or, you know, the, the plot line, the actual plot of the show. Like that's usually my focus. And then, like, there's, there'll be a separate time for me to talk about potential theories or cameos and stuff. But, like, I don't know. I take a huge interest in what the show is giving me as opposed to what I can expect out of the show. And then, like, yeah, what what I want to expect out of the show. So I'd rather just, like, take it in. And I'm not saying I, I take it in and just go, like, okay, this is great. It's just, like, for the story of the show or the movie, whatever, is did they capture that like their thesis essentially and like there is one connective tissue of phase four by the way it's grief i don't know if people have noticed this but there's so much grief and yeah. trauma and loss in this in this phase yeah like shang chi with with his dad and when and even shang chi like the, the being disowned or whatever like removed from his father you know kamala they have the multi-generational intergenerational trauma and everything like that you have the like you know, Peter Parker's life is grief, like, all the time, so, (laughs) um, but it's just, like, there's so much, uh, WandaVision is literally the stages of grief explored through a television show, which is why it's one of my favorite shows, not just MCU shows, just shows, it's so brilliantly done, um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, like, it's a lot of, you know, especially with Isaiah Bradley, there's a lot of trauma and loss in those elements, and, I, it's just interesting how people are, it feels like they're overlooking these like really deep human stories being explored yeah. for the, 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 the glamour and the, the explosions and the, <laughs> the, oh, is that Professor X? Like, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> like, uh, Chris, you got anything? No, I, I I think I'm good. I, I'm willing to to see where it goes. I mean, for the most part, the MCU has delivered hit after hit. Um, I've enjoyed most of Phase Four. Um, I think I've enjoyed pretty much all the the TV shows. I, I love Shang Chi. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I love. Uh, well, no. What other movies am I? I'm trying to think of all the movies. I I have problems with No Way Home, but I at least like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Multiverse of Madness and Thor: Love and Thunder are there. 
Uh, so, oh, the Eternals. I said the Eternals was fine. You know, I'm interested to see where that story goes. So, you got some good things laid out. I'm just, I'm just ready to see where we go next, and I'm along for the ride. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with both of those sentiments. So, um, yeah, we've been going for about an hour and a half. So, does anybody have anything else they want to talk about before we wrap up for the day? Um, I'm I'm excited to see what we get from San Diego Comic Con. You know, well, the don't give us something at Comic Con. So I know we're I'm 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 I'm, I'm sure we're going to get some updates on Black Panther, whether we get a full trailer or a teaser or something. I feel like we're going to get some type of announcement and maybe some of the other things that are supposed to come within the next like literal year, like the next 365. I feel like we'll get some updates on. Um, but I, I'm, I'm just excited to be excited about things. I heard, I heard a crazy rumor that we're supposed to get news on Blade and uh, Anthony Starr, who plays Homelander, is supposed to be Dracula. I'm like, no way. I saw that rumor. I was like, I don't see him as Dracula. Yeah, I, you know, that may, I mean, is he going to be able to make as many faces as he does in that show as Dracula? It's a real thing. <laughs> Anthony Starr is like, <laughs> that man's like facial acting is crazy. Because we've, I don't know why we've never talked about the boys in the podcast. It, we're kind of, I mean, we're weeks out of that finale now, so it's probably too late. But maybe one day we will. Because that, uh, if we ever bring Black to Too Black, Too Political, definitely, uh, <laughs> the, the boys, uh, the boys fandom, uh, they got some problems for real. Oh People, my God. I, I don't uh, know. Can sat one thing I want to talk about is, uh, can satire actually exist? Can, how, how often do you blame the medium versus you blame the fans? The, there are mm-hmm. things that people didn't understand about that show. Like people didn't like alt-right folks didn't realize they were being made fun of until season three. And it's like, that show is not subtle at all. Nope. Like, <laughs> I just, I, so maybe one day we'll talk about it. But um, before we go, uh, Nav, um, do you, uh, you want to talk, you want to tell, tell the audience where they can find you? And um, if there's anything, any new, cool, interesting projects you want to give a shout out to, you can uh, go ahead. Sure. So you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at NovThePoet, N-A-V, the poet um i do not really have any projects um just keep creating content talking about the shows marvel and all that stuff i i actually today just posted this video um because like someone had put up a prompt like if you could have three wishes but they had to be be movie related what would they be (laughs) and so i did like two about like you know one was the marketing of jennifer's body and then the second was the reviews for the power rangers 2017 film but the third Mm -hmm. one i did is a long video it's like six minutes and it's me basically rewriting black widow's story in the mcu because she deserves so much better and yeah, like i just mm-hmm. and so yeah it's like a six minute video <laughs> i'm just like my mind gets really creative when it comes to like writing stories for characters so um that's like the biggest thing right now for me <laughs> that i put out this lengthy video <laughs> uh, i also see you're talking leverage now I love leverage, dude. I love leverage so much. Have you watched the uh, the the? It's not a reboot per se. I mean, it is, but have, have you watched the Shingo series? I watched. I I I know there was only a season one. I don't know if there's a season two out, but I did watch season one. Yeah. Yeah, they just released it in in, in uh, two halves, 
Oh. Uh, so yeah, I, I did. I thought the first, I think six or eight episodes. I thought that was it. And I was like, oh, okay, that was nice. And then they're like, here are six or eight more. And I'm like, oh, oh. yeah. Uh, I enjoy Redemption, but it's not the same. But I, I still enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I think also part of it is like the dynamics are different now too. Mm-hmm. I just I love the dynamics of those original five characters together. Absolutely. It's just like. And if you've seen my post, you know how I'm obsessed with Har- uh, Parker and Hardison. I'm just, mm. they are, in my opinion, one of the best couples in television history. Like, it's just not even a question for me. I would easily rank them in my top five couples in television history. They're fantastic. And, and their relationship has such layers in seeing it, it grow mm-hmm. uh, and how pure it is as they become better versions of themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I got to do actual videos on them. I've mostly been posting all my stories, but I got to do actual videos on the show because I, I cover all kinds of movies and shows. Um, it's just, obviously, Miss Marvel has consumed my life the last six weeks. So, <laughs> For good reason. For good reason. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much. Like, every episode, I'm, like, just just creating topics for videos is, like, its own project. And then I'm, like, okay, now I have to actually make the videos and, like, figure them out. But there's so much. So it's good. All right. Well, yeah, well, we appreciate you coming on. And of course, you're welcome back anytime. Um, love your insight for sure. Um, Chris, you got anything before we sign off? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> Chris is like, it's actually, so for those of you who don't know, we're recording on a weeknight. And uh, where we live in the Midwest, it's like almost 1030. You know, we got jobs. So I'm getting, you know, I'm Chris getting sleepy. I mean, thankfully, I don't have to go into the office tomorrow. I did the, the past couple of days. I do actually, yeah. Working on the house, like on the roof. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. My in this heat? Uh, it was early in the morning, though. Like, it was like, I'm talking like they showed I was up say. Oh, eight. Yeah. So I was up before eight just to make sure that, like, they didn't show up before at time and, like, we were ready to go. Um, but yeah, so. Uh, it has it, it has been a time, but you know, uh, family is coming, so I get to see some some family. Yes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, um, thank you all for listening, and we see you, and we will see you all later. Uh, live long and prosper. And until next time, remember there are more of us. <laughs> <laughs>